Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ear. I'm Vin, the associate producer here at Starista. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders and get their take on the current challenges of the market. And we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, Vincent and AJ chat with David Young, the VP of Marketing for Adult Career Learning at Stride. He talks about how the pandemic led the company to making some drastic choices in marketing options, such as turning it off altogether and learning the value of marketing as a whole. AJ sneaks in some time competing in tennis during recovery, and Vincent says he's more of a football guy. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. I am your host, Vincent Petrofessa, the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships here at Starista, and still Interim General Manager of Access B2B. That title's still here, but maybe not for longer. Who knows? Let's see. I'm enjoying it, though. Doesn't come with any perks. But anyway, it is great to be here, ladies and gentlemen. I love doing this podcast, and thank you for all the positive feedback that you email us. And when we were recently at some in-person events, that you came up to me and said some great things. What a cool feeling that is, as long as it's positive. Hasn't been any negative feedback yet, so I don't know. We'll I'll handle that too, if there is. But it is so great to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, just let's pause for some station identification. There's no station, but Starista, what do we do? We are an identity marketing company. We have our own technology. We have our own data, business to business data, business to consumer data. We work with our partners to utilize that data. Email marketing. We have our own DSP, display, OTT, connected TV. If you're a B2B marketer, that's become really popular. Email me, vincent at starista.com. And that is all I will talk about Starista. Wasn't that easy? Ladies and gentlemen, the other thing that's easy, easy in my life. Great. He keeps me on my toes, though. He keeps me very grounded. That is happens every day. Is my commander in chief, captain of the bandits, captain of Starista. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's up, AJ? Hey, Vincent. You'll be uh, glad to know that in spite of medical advice, I decided to play a uh, tennis match this weekend. So, against, uh, against the grain, Gupta. <laughs> that's what they call you anyway. A, against the grain, AJ. Uh, I knew you were going to play. What, uh, where were the matches? In, in San Antonio? No, these were in, uh, these were in Austin. So I, I was uh, just there to cheer, but uh, I, I got a little tired of cheering. So I decided I was going to play. So. They called you in. That's what happens sometimes when you're on the sidelines and you know what, I'm still going to dress, but I'm going to have the clipboard. And they're like, wait, <laughs> we need him. We need him in. Get the helmet. This, I'm, I'm referring to football, <laughs> but because I don't play tennis, I played football. But it's, uh, yeah, you had to do it, man. That's great. How, did you win your match? Do I? Yeah, it, thankfully I did. Otherwise it would have... Uh, it wouldn't have been good when, when you put yourself in that position, you kind of have to win, you know? You have, yeah. If you go in, it's, it's, it's like, all right, I'm here to win. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm still exactly. waiting for my bandits t-shirt. I told you, uh, give me yep. a double X just in case, you know, my shoulders, as you know, in person, AJ are enormous. It's a <laughs> gift. It's a gift and a curse. Cause then people think I'm strong and I can help them move. I'm like, these are just for decoration. 
Yeah, and it's not easy to move in New York City. It's it's not like going from no. house to house in San Antonio. It is not. And if you still require your friends to help you move, you're not an adult yet. You're not an adult. Just pizza and beer doesn't cut it anymore. I'm in my forties. <laughs> you think I'm gonna? You think I'm gonna help you move? You're crazy. <laughs> but also, I will see you in person soon, AJ. I will see you in person in another month or so. And then hopefully beyond that, as some conferences become back in the spring, summer months. So that should be great. So looking forward to that. It's been a few months. Yeah, yeah. Things seem to be improving generally across the uh, country. So we, we should get together soon. Absolutely, absolutely. AJ, we've got a great one today. We've got a great one today because it's tackling something that we haven't tackled here on the marketing stir education adult learning it's just one piece but it's just you know what we're talking about with this next guest so we really haven't explored right you know a lot of people adult education what are they doing are they going back to school are they learning are they getting certifications during this time we heard from a lot of people that they wanted to hear and we found an amazing guest. We've already spoken. We already hit it off. Not to the point where he let me know he was in New York City, where I live, but we're getting there. We didn't know each other yet, but that's what happens when you spend almost an hour with us here on the podcast. Please, a warm marketing stir welcome to the VP of Marketing Adult Career Learning at Stride, David Young. What's going on, David? Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to jumping into all your questions and hopefully lending some insights into adult education here at uh, Stride and elsewhere. Absolutely. No, we're happy to have you, David. I was joking about the New York thing. Now, when you come in, we're going to hang out. We're going to get a coffee. I'm going to show you around New York City, give you a, a non-touristy bird's eye view into the city. I tell that of all my guests that uh, come in and friends. But David, let's get right into it because this is a topic that a lot of our listeners have been asking about. This is a topic that frankly, AJ and I were talking about. We're like, well, I wonder what people were doing. Even some people in our own company kind of getting certified in different areas. But talk to us about Stride. What some of the work you're doing there. And I'd love to learn about your role within Stride. Sure. So Stride is a, an online learning company. Uh, they originally and still predominantly have a really big business in online public education, K through 12. Uh, the biggest brand we maintain is called K through 12. Um, so as you can imagine, uh, we've, we've been around, I don't know how many years, let's call it 15, something like that. And when the pandemic hit, when everyone was forced to go online, it kind of shifted from being a real, you know, kind of a niche activity for some people to kind of a more predominant activity for everyone. Uh, so that was a big uh, difference in the business. Um, and then aside from the K-12 business, there's um, these adult learning boot camps. Uh, so those are, we have three of those so far. We'll probably uh, build some, build or acquire some more. But right now we've got uh, Galvanize, uh, Tech Elevator, and MedCerts. So those are all for essentially people already out in a career who may want to change careers and become a software engineer or become 
uh, you know, something to do with the medical support role, like, uh, you know, the people who would take blood or, uh, you know, code medical procedures into insurance codes, things like that. So that's, that's what Stride does. We have a variety of online learning opportunities uh, and we've, uh, we're glad to be here and help people during, uh, you know, the pandemic. And David, talk to me about kind of twofold question here is, you know, what, what some of your responsibilities right. at, you know, within your role. And then we love asking this question. This is a staple here is how you also got into marketing. Sure. So I'm a vice president of marketing in the adult career space. Uh, I was previously vice president of marketing and demand generation for the K-12 business. So I've kind of been involved with all of that. Um, the way I got into marketing is you know, a little bit by accident. Um, so as an undergraduate, I was a finance major and then I ended up in sales for a while, for a year afterwards, and then decided I was going to go back and get a master's degree. And how could I mix, you know, some aspects of sales, which I liked, with kind of maybe more of a analytical bent, which I naturally had. And so that led me to marketing research, and, and that led me to marketing analysis. And, and I've been in marketing, you know, kind of ever since that master's degree. Um, along the way, I took a lot of statistics courses, uh, you know, within those degrees, uh, and then later, um, and that's that's been a big part of my marketing, you know, logo. David, tell us a little bit about your current marketing strategies. What are some of the channels you're using? What's working for you guys? Sure. So we use all all the channels, I would say, um, I think the things that have worked best, um, well, paid search is always good, you know, because that's lower funnel and those are people who are looking for, you know, products directly related to your, your area of interest. So those are always kind of high value uh, if you can get them. The problem with paid search is you know, like any media channel, there's only so many people who are doing those searches, right? There's only so many people you can get out of a particular channel. So once you've kind of hit that sweet spot of kind of getting your fair share as it were of the people doing those searches, spending more money on that just kind of bids up the price. And so you kind of start spending more without getting more. Uh, and so it's best to then look at kind of your other channels that can be productive as well. Uh, we've had good experiences with uh, national TV. We've had good experiences with connected TV uh, and social as well. And so, but we, so I'd say those are maybe the four that are perhaps the most productive, uh, but there's, we have media expenditures in all kinds of other things, uh, digital radio, like say Pandora or Spotify, uh, other types of, you know, uh, social channels, uh, YouTube, uh, display, you know, you name it, we've, we've got something going on there. David, you've been at Stride uh, for almost four years now. So what's, a, what's your favorite part of your uh, job there? I guess my favorite part is uh, discovering new ways to squeeze a little bit more value out of the, the media dollars. Um, 
I'm, yeah, I guess I would think of myself as kind of a, I want to say inventor, but that sounds too grandiose. Um, but I do like looking at things in a new way, framing the problem differently and seeing if I can uh, extract more value from the same dollars. And David, I want to talk about something you said in the beginning there. You've, you've worn a lot of different hats at Stride, different positions, and, and you kind of have a background in sales as well as marketing, which I always think is extremely helpful. But what are some of the secrets? How do you succeed in such a diversity of roles that you've had? Well, I, I really think um, in some ways it, it ties back to the statistics courses I took. Uh, because I think that marketing has evolved over the last 30 years. Uh, there's more and more data every day. There's more and more information. Uh, and so those analysis skills become more and more valuable to me. And so I think that's really helped me thrive in a variety of roles. But I would also say that it's not, it doesn't come down to like a particular technique. It's not like necessarily even a you know, what you could say an advanced technique. I think it comes down more to um, seeing through what's not being said. Uh, and, you know, because every, almost all the data comes from some vendors with their own agenda. So, you know, everyone wants to spend more on, on their thing and everybody um, wants to take all the credit they can. And you know you add up all those things, and it tends to be, you know, more sales than the company's got, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, you know, there's always, um, you know, there's always things to reevaluate. Um, like for instance, like I would say that um, remarketing is a good example. So people come to the website, you, and then they leave, and then you send them an advertisement, and then they come back and they buy something. So Typically, the way people count that is, well, we spent $10 and that's associated with, you know, these sales over here and that's worth more than $10, so we're good. And I would argue that's not always true, um, can be true, but it could also be the case that, um, you know, maybe if the sale was absolutely necessary that you did that remarketing, then the cost of that sale would be all the money you spent to get him to the website in the first place, and then also the remarketing. So, you know, that's just an example of how, you know, the, you have to kind of look at things other than the way they're being presented to you to kind of see what the real cost benefit is for, for these things. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. David, is there any truth to what I was saying earlier in the beginning to kind of during the pandemic did a lot of people get those certifications, what was kind of the online education space looking like? Well, you know, obviously there was an avalanche of, of K through 12 people going online because they were obligated to. And, you know, we, we got a share of that. So that was a huge um, social movement, if you will. Um, it was also true, but not as clearly true among the adult education group. So a lot of people, you know, especially in retail, 
um, you know, those a lot of businesses closed down, people lost their jobs, they, they thought about retraining. Uh, so in that sense, there was a lot more people out there. On the other hand, uh, most of those intensive boot camps are, you know, they're intense and they were typically in person. And so then that was kind of a roadblock to kind of shifting some of those in-person classes into online. And so there was a plus and a minus uh, in terms of that, you know, there were a lot more people who wanted to do it. And then there was uh, a more, you know, a difficult transition as well. Do you think uh, during the pandemic, people have become fatigued with Zoom, especially when it comes to online learning? Um, I can relate my personal experience. So our company effectively is shut down the, the corporate office. And they're going to open another one with a smaller space. But essentially, we've shifted to be online ourselves. Um, I would say that, yes, you, you can get fatigued being on Zoom all the time. Um, but the way to combat that fatigue is uh, actually similar to what you would do in a regular classroom. So in a regular classroom, if the, if the professor just spoke nonstop, you know, for, you know, for the whole class, maybe you're in class one after the other. So all day long, you're just hearing somebody speak, you're going to tune out and not be, be interested. But if you intersperse, uh, you know, the lecture with, you know, individual assignments and group activities and, and other things, then you're not constantly on Zoom, or if you are, you're not doing exactly the same thing. Sometimes you're speaking, sometimes you're listening, sometimes you're doing a, an activity on your own. And I think that's the key uh, to uh, combating Zoom fatigue, the same way you would combat uh, lecture fatigue. And are there other lessons for you or the company that came out of the pandemic? Um, sure. So one of the, well, you know, this is kind of, you know, a weird thing, but I'll just say that it's at one point, uh, we had so many customers that, uh, we were unable to serve them all either because we couldn't physically hire enough teachers or we were hitting constraints that maybe individual states have on, on enrollment numbers, things like that. And so they're just, you know, at that point, marketing became less important because we were going to get so many customers that we couldn't even serve anyway. Uh, so we had that opportunity to actually turn off marketing uh, for a bit to see what its total effect was. And that's sort of a unique opportunity that, that most companies will never have, right? You're never going to say, well, let's just turn everything off and see how effective this really is, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I think that was certainly insightful and it confirmed, you know, the value of things, um, uh, which, you know, can sometimes become um, unclear with, with different forms of tracking that may be tracked better than other forms and things like that. And David, I, I agree with you as far as the, the Zoom fatigue, right there. Zoom fatigue in some ways, right? I like the calls that people have now. All of my conference calls, 
you know, including what we're on Zoom right now. But this I like because you get to, instead of just a, a call the number, this is fun. You get to do that. Where I'm really struggling with and really missing is that conferences doing the virtual, right? It's just not the same thing. Those trade shows, those conferences where, it, you know, and even some are like, you know, half virtual, half in person. So I think that's going to be a, a struggle with people uh, trying to figure that out. That's not a question. That's just more of my observation uh, on the uh, thing. But, David, I wanted to ask you something. You mentioned connected TV. You mentioned uh, paid search. And I remember when you and I were just having a conversation, it was in your first role, you talked about nearly doubling the effectiveness of paid search and CTV especially CTV, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, that's become really popular in general, but I've been seeing it on the B2B side, but any advice there? Sure. So um, actually what, what I doubled was national TV. Uh, CTV hadn't existed in the company prior to my arrival. Uh, so that was new. I think it was, we made it a lot more effective, uh, but you know, I can't say we doubled it since it, I don't have a base of comparison. Um, let me uh, let me tell you kind of a snippet story of the doubling of national TV, and then we'll pop over to CTV as a comparison point. So the national TV uh, was kind of interesting. Um, we put in a different, a couple of different tracking systems. Uh, you know, you don't think of national TV as being trackable, but it is. Uh, there's a couple of systems we used. One was um, uh, iSpot, uh, and the other was um, TV Squared. So both of those have, you know, a bunch of, well, iSpot has about a, a fifth of the country's TV boxes kind of tracked, and you can kind of see who got different commercials, and then you can go back to your database and see who responded. So that's pretty good tracking. And, and then TV squared is more of an incremental measurement kind of a thing. Um, really what, there was a bunch of things that were able to, you were able to do with that. Um, but the, the main thing I would say that um, it turned the corner was the length of the TV commercial. So uh, there was evidence prior to that tracking that longer commercials were better. And that evidence was how many people would call the phone number if you put a phone number in the TV ad. Um, I'd heard from, you know, way back when from the Direct Marketing Association that the longer commercials were better for direct response like that because you gave people more time to grab their phone, you know, see the number, dial it up, you know, all of that. So in a shorter commercial, you kind of cut that immediate response down. But for us, I mean, we weren't looking for necessarily an immediate response. I mean, if you're going to take your child from a brick and mortar school to an online school, that's a big decision. You're not going to decide to do it instantly. You're probably going to, want to check out the website, see who this company is, talk to your spouse, talk to your child. You know, it's a, it's a big decision with a bunch of steps. So it was more useful for us to give a short commercial to get the person kind of aware of us and interested and then just begin that process. And this tracking allowed us to see that those shorter commercials were actually more effective. And the reason I would say that they are, though not sound like they're not, 
a short commercial, you know, one one commercial is less effective than a long commercial because you get less information. But the pricing of TV is per second. So a short commercial, let's say 30 seconds compared to 60 seconds, costs half as much, which means you can reach two people instead of one person. And that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I often compare it to a, a dating analogy where you know, if you wanted a date and or let's say I wanted the date and what's my chance of getting a date better if I ask one girl out for twice as long or if I ask two different girls out well obviously the two right I get two chances <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know uh, you know so there's all kinds of reasons why she she might not want to go out with me right she's already got a boyfriend she doesn't like the way I look you know you know whatever it is right so if I get two shots you know I've, I've got more chances than if I just you know spend twice as much time on on my pickup line, so um, so that's essentially the same thing with the TV commercials, where you know getting to talk to two people is more valuable than one for for longer. So let's kick over to CTV then. Um, so CTV is a a different animal, and it's got advantages and disadvantages. Um, it certainly costs more per person than national TV. Although local TV also costs more per person than national TV. And so they're not that different on when you compare CTV with local TV. And if you need, well, so there's a couple of situations where CTV is gonna work in your favor. So if you need to advertise locally, like in our case, we've got these different states with different regulations, different caps of numbers of students we can actually enroll in different places. And you might need to focus in on a place where you can enroll or you can get students or whatever, compared to some place that is now, you know, kind of met the cap or is off limits or whatever. Um, so that's one reason. But then the other thing about that's great about CTV, it opens up this whole um, opportunity to do this one-to-one -one marketing that everybody has been talking about for so long. You can get your you know, your database of information, you can find out who's more likely to respond and you can advertise to just those people. So now the, you know, somewhat higher cost per person is balanced out or even surpassed by higher, by the higher chance to respond. Uh, so, so that's really where CTV can shine. And, and as there's more and more data to be had, there's more and more chances for that to be you know, just that much more valuable. I, I, that's a great way of breaking it down, David. I like the way you did that. I like your analogy there. Uh, and uh, that it, it makes a lot of sense. So thanks for breaking that down because a lot of people are asking, it's like, you know, TV, right? The linear TV, the connected TV. It's just such a big topic because, and we talk about a lot uh, in real life and we talk a lot about it on the podcast. People are watching TV. There's so much programming out there. There's so many ways to consume it. People are at home and really relied on television as we've actually had a few people from NBC Universal and Disney on. We've had a lot of people talking about some of their programming, A&E networks. So thank you for breaking that down. David, I wanted to talk to you about because you have been, like I said, a lot of roles, but you've been in marketing and You've been at Stride for a good amount of time where 
constantly talk to a lot of people in marketing on this podcast where sometimes they're not at those roles a long time. Marketing tends to be one of those positions with along with like a chief revenue officer sort of thing that kind of has a couple year shelf life, if you will. What's been your secret sauce, if you will, separating you, some of the methods that you use, kind of what makes you different in marketing, David, do you think? Well, I think um, it's a little bit what we talked about previously in the sense that, um, you know, I kind of, I try to frame the questions differently. So I, I gave the example of the, um, well, the remarketing stuff, but let's, I'll, I'll tell you a mistake I made. Maybe that'll be, you know, the flip side of this. Um, so I had determined that, hey, this paid search stuff, it looks great. We need to spend a bunch more money on it. That was my first year in to Stride. I, I, I said that. And then it wasn't, you know, it was wrong in the end. I, I could say, well, it wasn't really wrong, but, you know, but in the end it was wrong. And it was wrong, not because it wasn't a good deal, it was a good deal, but it was wrong because it couldn't scale as much as I wanted to. Um, I saw that there was a good return on that money and I thought, well, we'll just spend more over there. And unfortunately, you know, when I said earlier that, you know, you can bid up the prices, that's because that's what happened, you know? So, uh, you know, live and learn. Uh, I saw that I goosed up the money too much. We bid up the price. Um, and so we ended up paying kind of more money for the same clicks. And so it didn't really give us that incremental value that we were, we were hoping for. Um, so I guess your question to me was, well, you know, what, what sets me apart? I guess one, I would say that, you know, I have used data to kind of figure out things. And I think the other thing though, is that um, I'm willing to admit failure and change course. So this, is one of the failures that you know that I had and since then we found it to be much more productive to you know we still want to get more out of paid search but we also put strict limits on the cost per clicks we're willing to pay so that if we do pay more it's because we got more you know instead of accidentally bidding the price up uh, so I think that's the other thing that would maybe set me somewhat apart is um I'm, I'm willing to admit that I was wrong. Um, obviously, you don't want to be wrong too often, or you know, you you run into this problem you've mentioned of you know the shelf life. You know, you, shelf life comes a little shorter as you uh, as you make mistakes. But um, but I do think that I've seen companies that will make a mistake, won't want to admit to it, and ride that mistake until they're you know, into the ground. And, and that's the, that's the biggest shame, right? You know, you ideally you'd have generated enough confidence within the group, you know, that you're able to say that that was wrong. Now I'm going to do a different thing based on your information and, and move forward. And if you can establish that kind of rapport with your, your management, um, that, I think that's where you can really um, find a lot of success. 
Yeah, that's that's a unique one for us, and I think it's uh, very relevant. I think we're living in an age where people don't want to admit mistakes, whether it's uh, work or even uh, we, we see that in our tennis team. If somebody has a bad match, especially in doubles, uh, they're almost always going to blame it on their partner versus uh, uh, admitting any mistakes on their own. So I think we live in a world where admitting mistake is seen as a failure. So that's a great answer. Yeah, it reminds me, I, I haven't played tennis in a while, but it does remind me of somebody saying, you know, it's not the racket, it's the hand, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So what's, uh, you know, what's up and coming? What's new for this year for Stride? Well, Stride uh, has uh, put a big emphasis around career learning. Uh, and we're going to continue down that path. So, uh, within the both in the high school environment and in the uh, adult learning environment. So, in the high school environment, uh, you have typically a bunch of electives, right? And they're they're whatever. Uh, so they could be you know music or art or speech or debate or you know track or you know whatever they could be. Uh, so one of the things that is the right move for a lot of students is to take a cluster of those electives and center them around um, a career choice. So whether you're going to start a career after high school or whether you're going to um, you know, go on to college, uh, it kind of varies, but let's say you're, you're going to go into career after high school. Um, if you could take a bunch of you know, healthcare courses while in high school and be you know, qualified or halfway qualified to be kind of a beginning level nurse, uh, then your salary potential after high school could be tremendously larger than just with a typical high school degree. Uh, if you're going to college or, uh, you know, you have that path, again, uh, that's where, you know, you could explore careers, find out what you really want to do uh, to make that college choice better. Uh, and or take, you know, kind of dual enrollment courses and, and you know, uh, college credit type courses uh, that were in a path that you, you know, plan to take later. I know I personally, you know, had had a bunch of kind of typical jobs for high schoolers back when I was in high school. I worked at a couple of Dairy Queens. I worked at a car wash. Um, you know, I don't know what else I did, but things like that, right? I worked for the Texas Highway Department, kind of repairing some roads, you know, stuff. And, you know, I based my judgment on those jobs and said, well, gee, I've liked or disliked these jobs because of who I worked with. And so my whole plan going into college is as limited as this plan was, but, you know, hey, I was 17, what do you want? Uh, my plan was, I'll go into business so I can be the manager and hire people I like, so I'll like my job. So that was my, that was my philosophy, a fairly weak one, I would say, looking back. But, um, you know, that's all I had to go on. And I think if you had the chance to more thoroughly explore some, some real career options in high school, you could make a better choice than that. I think a lot of people are in that situation. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I know I uh, changed my major at least three times in college. Never really right. knew what I was going to do. <laughs> right. 
Um, so David, this is one of our staple questions we like to ask at uh, Marketing Stir. So what is a LinkedIn message or an email that really annoys you? And what's one that gets your attention that you actually respond to? Yeah, that's a tough question. Uh, I get lots of messages from lots of people. Um, and I've uh, mostly learned to ignore them because there's so many. If I try to respond to all the messages, I would, um, you know, I'd be do that instead of my job. <laughs> um, so I guess the thing that I would say, I have responded to some. Um, you guys approached me on LinkedIn. And, and so let's take that as an example. So this was, I hope for both of us, will be a, a real exchange of value. I hope this podcast will be valuable to, to, to both parties and, and the listeners. Um, so that is, you know, an interesting proposition. Uh, whereas a lot of other messages that I'll get will be, you know, I'm so-and-so with generic company number three, you know, tell me about your challenges. You know, it's like, uh, you know, come on. You know. <laughs> so, you know, that's not as interesting, right? So. I do think to really cut through the, uh, you know, the masses of things that people get, you've got to find a way to um, offer some concrete value uh, or have something pretty unique to offer. I do remember another place that contacted me um, regarding kind of, um, you know, combating display fraud. And they had a pretty unique offer and it wasn't something we were dealing well with, you know, at that time. So I think you've got to either have something pretty unique to offer um, or um, have some kind of exchange of value to get the, or, or both, you know, to get the, uh, the ball rolling. Yeah, no, we, we hear that a lot, David, especially, I like your answer. It's, it's uh, the second answer in a row from our podcast guests about that question. It's like, well, if I just responded back, I wouldn't do my job. I, I love hearing that. And that's kind of, we've had never heard that until recently where people are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But so, and, and people love that question. People approach us about it via email or, or social and people learn from it. And we hope that companies, there's these titles, right? Sales development reps, business development, BDRs. We hope that people listen to this and, and you know, the 12 prong approach to reaching out to people doesn't work. You know, did I, did I say to them to, to offend you? I haven't heard back. No, I'm just not interested in your solution. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, coming up with something compelling. That's great. David, we have just a few minutes left. Uh, I, I assume tennis as well. Cause you were talking about that with uh, AJ, the A scooper there, but what else uh, are you into tennis? What are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do for fun? Well, um, during this pandemic, I, we ended up chopping a tree down for because it's kind of close to the power lines and whatnot. And I split this giant tree kind of by hand with, you know, axes and wedges. And I ran through plenty of those, picking out which brands were going to work and which ones broke. Um, but, you know, it was it was cost ineffective. I'm sure I spent more on the tools than I would have spent on having somebody coming to do it. But it gave me something to do outside when we were kind of in this, you know, no vaccine, you know, 
scary place where I needed to stay home, but I didn't want to be inside all the time. So we chopped down the whole tree, split this huge tree into a bunch of, of wood. And so now I, I spent a lot of time with the fireplace. Uh, and, you know, I said my son came back um, to, to the house last weekend. And, uh, you know, we played some board games in front of the fire. And nice. that seems like a more uh, common activity for me these days. That's nice. You know, we, in my last apartment, in Manhattan here, I actually had a fireplace. It was pretty cool. I wasn't chopping down trees or anything like that. That if I if I had an axe in Manhattan, that's a whole other story. I wouldn't be here today. But it it was nice. I love it. I, my new apartment does not have a fireplace, but it, we were just I would buy wood from some one of the bodegas, these little corner stores, or one of those. I kind of cheated because I kind of had one of those Dura flames. I popped that in. But yeah, it is soothing. It's uh, just doing anything by the fire. It's just something relaxing about it, especially those cold winter months here in Manhattan. But uh, David, a, a final thought, a closing thought, uh, a, sh a sh shining moment in your career thus far. Leave us with one. Um, okay, well, so I think the, let me, let me shy away from the shining moment because I think I've, you know, talked myself up enough during this podcast already. I don't want to bore the <laughs> listener and instead leave you with a, a final thought. So I think the final thought would be, you know, I said the thing about being willing to change. And I think that's, that's key, being willing to admit mistakes and move on to a new solution. I think the other thing that's key is just keeping an open mind and, and looking at value where you can find it. Sometimes it'll be through analysis. Sometimes it'll be through new channels. Sometimes it'll be new creatives or messages. So maybe the conversion funnel could use some work. You know, it kind of is varying. And I think you need to open your mind to all those possibilities. Implementation is key. A lot of people overlook that. They'll like come up with a plan and then pass it down the chain to be implemented and then not really check on it again. And I think that is an area where there can be a lot of value. So with this theme of being open-minded, I would say uh, that I read a book recently, which I enjoyed, um, and it's about the conquest of Mexico. It's called um, The Conquest of New Spain, is the way they wrote it at the time. Um, and the reason it's interesting is because it's a first-person account. So there was a soldier, a literate soldier, that was along there with Cortez uh, named Bernal Diaz, Diaz. Um, and uh, he wrote a book about the events. And I think the thing that's really interesting about it is like in my day as kind of a, you know, upper middle aged person or whatever, uh, you know, things were, everything was, you could say whitewashed, I suppose, to an extent, you know, it was, you know, Cologne was, or Columbus was, uh, you know, the guy who discovered America, he did these great things and, you know, the pilgrims came and they only, you know, had Thanksgiving with the Indians and everything was nice. And today, you know, everything's terrible and, you know, all those guys were, you know, dastardly and they did all this bad stuff. And then the same thing with the American Indians, either they were, you know, the bad guys or now they're the good guys or whatever. And I think that, you know, none of that seems completely true either way, right? Uh, and I think hearing that first person account, it's like the difference between hearing what 
some political candidate says or hearing somebody else say what they said. You know, when you get the spin people saying what they said, you know, you just want to hear what was actually said. Right? Uh -huh. um, and I think it's the same. So it's it's a very curious book. It's written from the perspective of somebody from 500 years ago, uh, from a different culture and a different way of looking at things. And he certainly is not writing things with an eye to how it will be perceived 500 years later. So I think it's it's good. It's a good thing for anyone to take a look at. Yeah, no, that's uh, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us, David. We appreciate your time here on the Marketing Stir. Ladies and gentlemen, that is David Young, the Vice President of Marketing Adult Career Learning at Stride. Check out Stride, stridelearning.com. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Gupta. This has been another episode of the Marketing Stir. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. And thanks for listening.